0: All right, if you would please open back up to Genesis chapter 3. Last week we were in Genesis chapter 1 as we began our series called, and we are looking specifically, uh, well, I'll caption this. If you look at the, the image we have, the little graphic, it goes from created, captured, commissioned. That's a general concept, and we're looking to get specific. So last week this week we're going to look at general concepts of how uh, God created everything. Last week we looked at God created everything with an, uh, with an order to what we're supposed to be doing and experiencing today, tried as much as possible to not bring in the fact that it's all messed up. Today we're talking about how it's all messed up from our first parents Adam and Eve, they wrecked it. They wrecked it and as much I used to sit in uh, whatever class I didn't like in high school and think, Adam and Eve, why did you sin? Because I have to sit in this class, and I hate this class. That's, that was my level of theology back when I was a sophomore in high school, annoyed that I had to actually work in school because I have a little aversion. That's, it's coming up because part of my manhood, because of sin... Men have some difficulties, but what we're doing, as we look at last week, there's a created order that God wants to express uh, order within himself, but also the the variety and beauty of God in relationship with himself and how he he creates man and woman to enjoy that with him. Sin comes in and wrecks that. Sin doesn't completely destroy us or it doesn't destroy God's image bearers, but sin distorts it. But that's why today, the, the title for today is distorted. That there is a, a marred wandering that we are experiencing as human beings. And ultimately, we'll look at how uh, Jesus is the one to recreate. He makes us new creatures, new creations. God makes us new creatures in Christ to experience because God's looking to redeem and restore. All that sin has marred he doesn 't want us going about wandering anymore; he wants us to go about reclaiming the order with which he made man and woman, but when sin is there we have we have we get tripped up by stuff so while there 's an order there 's also sin right there so as we go through this series we 're going to look at manhood and womanhood and what it means to to be a, a husband and wife and, and what it means for us to to glorify god with our sexuality our individuality what it means as children to glorify god there's a calling upon children as well as we go through those we're looking to bring god as an order sins right there at our elbow looking to mess things up and distort it so that's kind of been the it's going to be just to help you understand as as we approach going through this series but now, uh, verses 1 through 13 is what we're, we're going to look at three scriptures today. We're going to be in Genesis 3, and then Romans 1, and then 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, but the word of the Lord says this a famous story, but important. That's why it's, it's chapter 3. We don't get much into the story, do we, before we get some bad news? Now, the serpent was more crafty than, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the delight to to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Father, we ask for the Spirit's illumination as we consider your word. So we will have a a big capacity to understand your calling to us. Lord, you, you called to us just like you called to the man. In this passage, we want to respond. We want understanding. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If any of you are wayfinders and you like to go get lost in the woods and stuff, an instrument that would be useful to you is a compass, right? Compass, uh, the, the only compasses I've ever used have just been toys. I haven't really needed anything. I can tell from the sun. No, I can't. I don't know where wind's blowing from. I have to, like, look around. I have to see flags to know what's going on. But we know how a compass works. Compass points to true north, the magnetic field of the North Pole, so the compass is pointing to the north so we can orient where we are and also understand where we're going. Now, last week, as we considered God's gracious order as it's revealed, God's order is a magnetic, it's a moral, spiritual it's a North Pole. It's, it's true north for everything that God has made it. God wants everything to point to him. And what happens when a compass can't find true north? And you have to pick up a, a broken compass and the, the thing just dangles, the arrow just dangles and you can't get anything. You can like swish it around. Remember the Pirates of the Caribbean movies where Jack Sparrow would take out his compass? You know why he was, it was always kind of, because it was following his desires. Wherever, whatever he, his compass pointed to whatever he was desiring. And that's a, a good caption to understand. That's what sin entering the world does to our moral compass, to our spiritual compass. What, what, what God has created to point to him, all of a sudden we change and we want our desires to be what we worship. And so we're looking for what we desire most. Now it's it's kind of still true because what we want and desire most is God. We just think he's not going to give it to us. Like Eve. Eve was tempted to think that Satan came, the the first temptation he gives Eve, God's withholding from you because he knows when you eat that, you'll be like him. So he's not giving you all of himself. Sneaky, crafty. Now Genesis 1 and 2 reveals the order of variety and beauty and culminates in, in the announcement of the satisfaction of all that God has made when he says, this man and woman are made in his image and it was very good. And here, only three chapters into the Bible we read that sin enters the scene, and it stays on the scene, corrupting the good of God's creation, particularly corrupting man and woman as image bearers of God. What, what held the true north of good as image bearers got distorted into marred image bearing. Rather than man and woman fulfilling their beautiful purpose, man and woman are now marred representations of God's image, wandering about bound, without boundaries of the Garden of Eden. It's like we, we have a sign hanging on us around our necks that says, out of order. Things don't work right. Things are out of order because of sin. God's image bearers are not irredeemable, though. God's not given up on humans. We don't give up on humans. Distorted and wandering Man still bears God's image in a visible way that God holds man accountable for. Unbelievers are held accountable for their image-bearing. Christians are held accountable for image-bearing. Sin has left man confused uh, to where we're just walking contradictions of our status of image-bearing. We are image-bearers, but it's marred, and we think that we actually have the beauty... But God has the beauty, and we want God to rearrange things to accept our definition of what we think life is and our image that we want. But we walk around wandering, never-ending, exhausted in our quest for joy. Theologian Henry Blosher, in his book In the Beginning, said this, We must state both that after his revolt, mankind remains mankind, and also that mankind has radically changed, that he is but a grisly shadow of himself. I like how he uses that word grisly. Mankind remains the image of a God, inviolable. I had to look that up. I had to look how to pronounce it. It means unbroken, inviolable, and responsible, but has become a contradictory image, one might say a caricature, a witness against Himself, even in the state man is in because of his own rebellion, God's grace is revealed in his wisdom to redeem and restore his image bearers. This is where God's love shows up. God's love is our big caption for this morning. God's love is displayed and extended to us through Jesus to redeem, restore, and reconcile for full and joyful union with God. God's love is displayed and it's, it's extended to us. God's love shows us, shows up in Jesus to redeem us, restore us, and reconcile us to full union with God. But let's think about sin's impact, though. There's a deep impact. First point is there's a deep impact that sin has, and it's, it's a radical corruption, Let me try to explain this. Sin's intrusion onto and into the lives of Adam and Eve affected every aspect of their lives. And sin shows up all over the map of our lives, right? Wickedness and selfishness, they stretch from our minds to our fingertips and toes. Sin shows up everywhere. The theological word for sin's corruption is depravity. We are depraved. Sin touches everything about us. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean we are sinf- as sinful as we could be. We are not utterly wicked without any capability of good. Uh, the example is given that even Adolf Hitler loved his mother. So somebody who was the personification of evil was capable of good. But we have a pervasive. Depravity. It's, it, our sin affects and touches everything. See, utter wickedness communicates amount. It's the amount we have uttered. It's all there. That's not what we possess. We have a pervasive wickedness which communicates degree. Every aspect, 100% of us, is affected and tainted by sin. Are we as sinful as we could be? No. But everything that we do, and it results in this, it shows up in that unwanted shadow in our pictures. Always there. Sin taints the beauty of God's creation. It mars the picture. Our problem is not that we don't have any good. Our problem is that any good that we try is tainted by our pride and self-righteousness. So even the proverbial common old lady who does good all the time are, are you saying that God God might not be in a relationship with her and see her good works and let her into heaven from what scripture says that even that old lady who does everything good and never loses her temper she might be not losing her temper to try to get on God's good side and God says that's not salvation Salvation is trusting in Jesus. So the good works that we do are a reflection of his, his death for us and his life that we live, not in an effort to gain control over God. It's important to remember, though. Sin does not cancel us out as image bearers. It doesn't make us irreparable or, or irrecoverable or irredeemable, even amid the sinful effects of our pervasive wickedness, we still have dignity, worth, and value as God's image bearers. That's why we stand, we can stand with unbelievers and say, that person matters, and that person matters, and this person matters. Everybody matters. Yes, because everyone has dignity, worth, and value. We can also say that creatures matter. Sin disqualifies us from enjoyment of God. Sin does not disqualify us from our dignity and our value as God's creatures, as his image bearers. Sin just makes us value ourselves too much and value ourselves for all the wrong reasons. Now, when this radical corruption came in, it discommunioned us from God. That's what we see with Adam and Eve. God uh, kicks them out of the Garden of Eden and he blocks the door with some uh, angels with flaming swords. Sin has disconnected us from fellowship and communion with God uh, to where we, we long for Eden, but we keep on bumping up into those flaming swords. And we see this in our culture. It's all over our culture. Man longs for Eden. That's why we want vaccines. That's why we want cures to cancer. And those are, those are the grace of God to be able to extend his wisdom and knowledge to everybody, even unbelievers, those who want to turn their discovery into their own self-worship and self-exaltation. God says, I'm going to, let, I'm going to share my wisdom with my image bearers for the good because he, he wants people to recognize there was an Eden. And we know from the story of scripture that we don't go back to Eden, we go to a new Eden. And a new earth where that same tree, God, God uprooted that tree of life from the Garden of Eden. He put it in a new garden and we get to eat of that tree. Our relationship with God has been broken by sin. Our communion is lost. We have no lasting joy. And the effect of our discommunion, our disconnectedness, is the desire of every man, woman, and child to reorder and repurpose God's creation. We forsake God's order and his purpose and we end up exalting ourselves and his creation or abusing ourselves and his creation. So we, we kind of are on this spectrum whether we exalt or abuse because we have forsaken God's order and purpose. Here's how it shows up in our lives. Our attempts to reorder life show up like this. Sp- in, in just in common man. Spiritually. We want to reorder Spirituality. We have usurped God's authority. We've taken it over, hostile takeover, and now expect him to obey our rules in our relationship with him. We seek to control God through our performance. God, I've done this much for you, so I expect you to do this for me. And we we expect to do good for God and avoid suffering. We expect to do good for God and avoid disease and calamity. We expect that from God. God, you need to be played by our rules now. Or... We will seek to control God by completely neglecting his righteousness. I don't like your righteousness. I like my righteousness. So God, accept me for who I am. I don't care about your, your order and your purpose for my life. No, you get to accept me for who I am now. That's how we attempt to reorder spiritually. We want to reorder emotionally. And I would bring this uh, to our minds that, you know, we have, within the emotional context of how we live, we think our emotions are inescapable. And we will, we will fall under labels, perhaps, emotional labels, or we will try to use emotion to get over our emotion. This happens when we talk incessantly about how we're feeling. Because we're trying, I, I have a bad life and I'm, I have sorrow right here, so I want to talk about my sorrow in the attempt to get love and acceptance from you to overcome my sorrow. And we play this weird little game, but what we're doing is going around and not so merry, go around, and we're in, we feel that we can, can't ever escape our emotions. Mentally, culture, man, seeks that the answer to life is in knowledge. And particularly what is happening today, I saw a quote the other day, where it was the science. That's an oxymoron. It's moronic. It's also an oxymoron. The science. What is that? It's so vague, but everybody wants the science. What is that? It's a desire to have knowledge answer everything. And if we can just do enough experiments, then we'll finally answer. All we know is that when we do more and more experiments, I think it shows that people are looking for an answer when they do an experiment. That's why we have all different kind of opinions about stuff. If you know, the, great, the great scientists and mathematicians that have ever lived on this planet started by saying God revealed it. God created it. He revealed it. I want to discover it. And that's why mathema- mathematical equations, the way we do, Pascal, Blaise Pascal, man of God, he, disca- he described his salvation in one word. You know what it was? Fire. His moment that he received Christ, he said it was fire. I love that. That's a smart man. Now we do, l- mentally we look for knowledge, but physically, and this is growing in our culture with the moral, uh, the, the moral change that's seeking to happen, the moral revolution that's, seeking, that's taking place in our culture, uh, there's the pursuit of physical pleasure beyond all anything else. If it feels good, do it. There's the changing of our appearance to be accepted by others. We want to reorder things. If I, change who I, if I change how I look, then you will accept me. When God says, no, I've created you, I've accepted you, we reorder that, we repurpose it. Or, to the extreme, altering appearance for expression, changing the body, changing the the physical features, changing gender to be able to tell God, "You, you were not wise, God. You withheld from me because I'm not who I really am as your creation. So I need to change who I am. And changing our appearance, changing gender, I think, is the ultimate expression of autonomy, which is the, that's what happened when Adam and Eve ate that fruit. They said, God, we don't want to follow your rules. We want to make up the rules, and we'd actually like you to obey our rules. There's the deep impact of sin. And now, man is on a quest searching for identity. But there's a particular identity that he's looking for. Let's go to Romans 1. testament romans chapter 1 where the apostle paul is he's describing the effects of sin here's what happens when man from the deep impact that sin does in man's heart but watch how man responds to it verse 18 for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth that's how man starts All right, God, you're reminding me of this? Well, I'm going to keep on sinning just to hush you up. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world. So Paul is saying the created order reveals God, and man is denying that, seeking to repurpose it in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor God as God or honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what's the aftermath? Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what is, what's been exchanged? There's an exchange that's happened. If you go down to verse 25, oh, verse 24. Therefore, the Lord gave them up in their lust, gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what In this exchange, we have a deep impact and, and we continue to exchange God's image for our image. What we end up doing is looking for our own image in our lives rather than looking for God's image displayed through us. As the aftermath of man's revolt against God's loving rule and reign, man now desires to sit on the throne where only God belongs and rule according to his desires, which are all corrupted and distorted now is competing thrones. We have a competing throne between God and us and we have competing thrones between us and us. We have everything now is a rival throne where we think we sit on the throne. So we will fight and we will try to get our way. And Why? Because I want to be king. I, I want to rule everything in my life. And I want everything to be about me and I want everybody to obey what I think even if it just be quiet right now. Because I want some quiet. That's how sin shows up. Rather than living out the beautiful purpose of God as his image bearer, man now seeks to recreate and, listen, replicate his own image in all the categories of life while then condemning all other reflections because we're bumping into, I don't want your reflection uh, to show up in my life. I want my reflection. I want to replicate my image and my desires constantly. So if you get in my way, I'm going to step on you. Corporate America is, is displaying this beautifully, huh? That I'm going to step on you to promote myself because I want an image that I'm gonna, that's going to be satisfactory to me. We look for ourselves in our relationship with God. We think God should think like we do. We think God should give us what we want when we want it. Our relationship, uh, uh, we look for ourselves in our relationship with others. This happens when we, we begin to coddle our personalities we think that, no, I just have to, I have to be sensitive. I'm sensitive. You can be somebody, somebody sensitive with me. Or I'm just harsh so everybody else can be harsh like I am. And you just have to own it and just deal with it. And also, we think that God, uh, our image, our own image should show up in our relationship with ourselves, others. When we are angered, we get the chorus of horns out there, huh? We are angered when others don't act like we do and think like we do. We all at some point get irritated when others are just stupid. Like, why are you being so stupid right now? I'm sorry if your kids, you're not, your kids aren't allowed to say that. And I just totally gave them permission. Pastor Jeff said the S word. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> My kids still aren't allowed to say that. <laughs> well, sort of. <laughs> to one another, in describing an action, uh, uh, describing an event, they are not allowed. Seriously, they are not allowed to say that toward one another. So, the, my, we, in our house, we don't call each other. You're being so stupid right now. nope, no, no. Nope, that does not happen. Describing an event that is stupid. Racism is stupid. That's okay. So that's how we. They're old enough now to know the distinction. So if your parents try to backtrack here, (laughs) don't do that. Don't use the S word. We are intolerant of everybody's ignorance. Because we just think we think right. And everybody should think like us and the world will go better. Look, this replication of our image... Is now, uh, it shows up in our culture by, I've heard this phrase over the past several months of people wanting to be the best version of themselves. I just want you to be the best version of me. You know, when I, when I hear that, I hear more self-worship than self-denial, right? I hear more, you know, I want to glorify who I am. I want to be the best version of myself, which means I just look more I look deeper in who I am, but when we go deep, what we find is the impact of our sin, not the freedom that we long for, not the expression that we think is going to help us. You know, people seeking the best version of themselves are really seeking for others to agree with their own validation of themselves. I accept me, and I need everybody else to accept me. So if you don't accept me, I can't be around you. you got to be careful. It's because it, we're seeking corrupt versions of ourselves. And listen, the idols that we carve in our lives, they have our own facial features in them. We we look for ourselves in what we worship. We've exchanged the glory of God for a lie, and that too can be God's. We we, we think that we can be God with him. Look, the search for man's identity is no mystery. It's an all-out attack on the image of God. And we see that there's there's a celebration of this replication of man's image when uh, in verse 32 of Romans 1, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And we hear that in our culture. Uh, in our culture, to disagree is to hate. Because everything needs to be approved of. You can't tell anybody that they're wrong. You can't tell You can't cross anybody. Because everybody has to approve of everyone else. Everyone needs to be on the right side of history. And that's the right side of history. is just a mold that culture has created that forces everybody into that mold. And then you have all the virtue signals happening from everybody else. Like all the companies, that's virtue signals first. They're like, oh, we love everybody. Keep shopping with us, please. So now there's a race for virtue signaling. Get out. Everybody needs to do this. Everybody needs to be on the same thing and tolerance today is vastly intolerant of any opposing perspectives. And the very definition of tolerance means we disagree and we're gonna disrespect each other. But now if you disagree, you hate. The church needs to show up in these categories because listen, we have different perspectives on things. We have different experiences in our lives. And we need to be able to have conversations. Conversations don't happen anymore in our culture. They're just yelling. And when you yell enough at somebody else, you know you're not listening to them. You're just trying to figure out the next thing to say. The culture we find ourselves in, the church needs to show up in that moment to be able to say, no, we need to provide a different perspective. We need to point to Jesus. That's the third point. Sorry, I didn't do the second one. Searching for identity. Third point is restoring the image of God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's two more books to the right. God's plan. He redeems, he recreates, he reconciles and that's who we are that that frames our calling as, as Christians. Verse 14 For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Synthesize that to this. Jesus' love controls us so we don't live for ourselves, we live for him. So whenever we like, are struggling, I just want to live for Jesus, you need to recognize his love. Because when you recognize his love, it will control you and you will live for him and deny yourself. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we know we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You my children singing the song. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, is a new creation, is a new creation. Got to play those songs. I still sing them when I read that. But it's true. Any man is in Christ. He is a new creation. What does that mean for us spiritually? That means we don't have to reorder and make God obey us. We get to obey him. Our emotions, we are not in in this inescapable routine and, and... cyclone of our emotions. We get to look at Christ and be controlled by his love and experience his affection to where it, it shows up in our service in life. It, a new creation shows up in our, our mentality. where We're not looking for knowledge of the world. We're looking for the knowledge of Christ. And we are discovering him more and more and more. So we don't have to look other places. It means physically we get to be who God's calling us to be in a way that frees us. So we don't have to look for a particular expression. When we walk out uh, in marriage counseling, um, there's, a, there's a theme that doesn't take long to get to. And it's usually the conflict that happens in a husband and wife relationship is because Somebody's not doing their role. The husband's not per- performing in his role effectively. The wife is not performing in her role effectively. Why? Because their relationship with God is probably off. So it's easy. When my wife and I have conflict, it's, my first concept is usually that I'm going before the Lord. God, how have I not nourished and cherished my wife lately? Because I know that's what produced this conflict. Because my role is to love and nourish And cherish. When It doesn't take long. But but, but what we have is the promise. That when we are new creatures. We have the power through Christ. And the presence of the spirit. To walk out that role and obey. And experience joy and union. The way God intended it. So we have redemption. The glory of God is forever seen. And celebrated in the wise and beautiful plan. To send his son to capture us. For himself. For our sake he died. For our sake, he was raised so we would be controlled by his love rather than controlled by the desires and pleasures of sin. We get to be controlled by his love. And he he recreates. We are new creations. We're not polished off versions as if all we need is a little TLC to make us shine better. Let's just polish up that silver, make it it who you really are. That's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is inside. As Jesus said, it's what's inside that corrupts. And that's where sin Jesus comes and touches that part of us. God's created us new in Christ on earth, bring about the transformation, our transformation spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically to reflect Jesus. We are growing free of our daily sin so God's image will shine through us as we obey, as we embrace His order and His purposeful design. And there's reconciliation that is in here the verse 19, I'm sorry, 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the greatest exchange that we celebrate as believers, as Christians. Not the exchange of the truth of God for a lie so we can try to figure out what to worship and be pleased by. The greatest exchange is that of our sin being put upon Christ so we get his righteousness. And now we get to live free from The domination and authority of sin. And now we get to trust Jesus with everything. And we live that out. Now we are ministers. We are ambassadors as His redeemed. We're to live out the gospel light and life that God spoke to our hearts to make people, not to make people that they, not to make people understand they can be better versions of themselves. But to know that the best version the cross and follow Jesus. He's the best version of anybody. And then And He's who we need to be. And we're calling, we're, we're living testimonies, we're living examples, calling attention to his love and grace and joy. This is why Christians have trust and hope within suffering. This is why Christians can praise amidst persecution. This is why Christians are able to be humble when honored. set us free in order for us to enjoy joyful union with him. He's our true north. He's our true north. We're heirs with Christ. We are sons of God because of the son of God. And we get to stand before Jesus mm-hmm. unashamed. Looking for Jesus' image. With, uh, look, there's sanctification is the struggle of, of clearing up all the marred stuff and up the shadows of Jesus' light so we can be formed to His image which is God's purpose and design for us. That's our greatest joy. That's what He promises for us. Let's pray. Lord again we thank You for Your wisdom that we get to sit under and listen to. We thank You for the gift of preaching. God I, I pray that You have answered I trust You have answered my prayer. use the preached word to give faith and hope to your people. Lord, we want to live for you. We don't want to try to figure out how we can be better us. We want to figure out how we can deny ourselves and look at Jesus and be so captured and captivated by him that we find that we're we're acting more like him and we're thinking more like him and we're revealing may it show up in the very small places of our lives and our relationships. Our relationship with you, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with those that we love most on this earth.